And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray is joined by Super Bowl champion, entrepreneur, and CEO of the Stacked Pickle, Gary Brackett. In order to experience life, in order to experience your greatness and what God has put inside of your life, you're going to have to step outside of your comfort zone, deal with that fear, and do it anyway. Because fear is always going to be there. So acknowledge that fear. Hey, I see you, but I'm still going. Well, hey, gang, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the program where we love to bridge the gap between faith and business. As you know, if you're a longtime listener or viewer here, we travel the country and we interview some of the most amazing Christ followers who are entrepreneurs, CEOs, business owners, and marketplace influencers. We have these conversations that are designed to not only learn about their journey and their experiences, but the reason we do Bottom Line Faith is to encourage you as a Christ follower. Because on a daily basis in leadership, sometimes it's quite lonely. And we want to encourage you on how you can better and more successfully live out your faith as a Christ follower in the marketplace. And so I'm really excited today. I'm I'm in my hometown of Indianapolis, Indiana, and we are speaking with Gary Brackett. And this is really going to be a fun conversation because we're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about business. And so, Gary, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. We're really going to have a great conversation about business, about faith in your journey. But let's take just a moment. You played in the NFL. Let's start there. How long was your career? So I played nine years. Nine years. And that's like, what, three, four times the average career? Three times. Three and a half times is the average NFL career. So I played at nine. So, yeah, right at three times the uh, average rate. All with one team? All with the Indianapolis Colts. Okay. And you had a really unique experience in 2006. What was special about your NFL career that year? Yeah, so um, as a kid, one thing you always dreamed about was obviously making a team, but then winning the Super Bowl. So 2006, 2007 season, we played Chicago Bears in Miami and was able to win a Super Bowl championship. So uh, long overdue. I felt like uh, we should have had a couple more, uh, but just thankful that I had the opportunity to have that experience and get one under our belt. So it's something that's great that we could bring to the city. One of the things that that's really was special, it is special about you, is you were never the odds-on favorite, right? <laughs> but your, your entire life, your entire journey is about overcoming obstacles and difficulties and, and tragedy. What were some of the tough things that you went through in the younger years of your life? You had some, some tough experiences. I really did. I think even growing up, um, going to school, not getting a scholarship, coming from a small high school, I was you know one day away from you know, almost getting put out of college because I couldn't pay tuition, and I was uh, blessed to get a scholarship. So that kind of changed my life, changed my trajectory. From that moment, I became the captain. I actually won two MVPs in college. But going to the Indianapolis Colts and making the team was an amazing experience. But then a tragedy hit. I lost my father during the first season, about the sixth game that year. Unfortunately, during that offseason, my mother went in for a routine surgery. She died in the operating room, in the recovery room. Mm. So then I lost my mom. At the same time, my brother was diagnosed with cancer, T-cell neuroblastic leukemia. I became his bone marrow donor, but unfortunately that didn't take, and he also lost his life the next February. So in a very short period of time, I lost my mom, my brother, and my my father. And um, to say, you know, I was 
didn't at that moment question my faith, I would be a lie. Yeah. And one thing that reminded me in one of those moments and it's crying outside, it's almost a movie. I'm driving in the rain, I'm just crying, beating up the steering wheel. And I go home and I go inside of my bathroom and there is a poem on the wall that I probably read a thousand times and never really sunk in. And it was the Footprints poem. And then Footprints, you know, when the man's questioning God and he's looking over his life and seeing that at the worst times of his life, there's only one set of footprints. And at the best time, there's two sets. God's by his side. And he asks this guy, where were you at the worst part of my, yeah. of my life? Yeah. And that's when God responds, that's my son when I carried you. And that just really put everything in perspective to me. And I started, you know, questioning God and just started asking, what, what do you want me to get out of this? Yeah, yeah. And that was in, what, the first year or two of your That was in 2003, 2004. Yeah. And so here you are, there's the pinnacle mm -hmm. from a professional career standpoint and, you know, going out in front of 50,000 fans every weekend and in the papers and in the media. What is it about you know, the professional athlete that most people don't understand. I mean, you had these real life issues going on and yet you also had to perform. What's that like? And what should we understand about these people that we're seeing in the arena? <laughs> so this, it's funny and I get it uh, now just as a fan, um, sometimes we hold our professional athletes to higher standards than sometimes we hold ourselves. Yes. And even then they don't recognize we're playing football, it's a game that we love, but for us, it's a job. Like, no matter if we win or lose, we still got kids to take care of. A lot of us have wives and different things going on outside. Yeah. So, You're real people. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like if you lose a game, like, why is he smiling during the interview? They just lost. And it's like, because it's a job. Like, if you have a bad day on your job, do you go home and kick the cat? Like, absolutely not, right? Like, you, life goes on. And I think the fact that we're real people and we go through real things, it'd be funny when I was doing a peak, I would drive around and I'd be, like, pumping my gas. And then people at the gas station, oh, my God, like, you're pumping gas? I'm like, yeah, this, this, <laughs> this is what happens. Like, it's not magic. Like, we don't have a butler. Um, so it's just funny that people think, you know, they put you on this pedestal don't realize that we go through real life stuff. So how did you work through I mean, that painful part of life, mm -hmm. that, that mother, father, brother, all in a very short period of time, what got you through that? You, know, you talked about the poem and the footprints, but it, it's not that simple always, right? So what really got you through? You know, it's amazing in the Bible, I think in Proverbs 27, 17, it talks about iron sharpening iron. Yes, sir. And at that point in my life, we had a lot of strong Christian men on our team. And if it was not for David Thornton, Cato June, um, some of those guys, Tara Glenn, praying for me, making sure that I was okay, yeah. getting me out of the house, taking me to Bible study, getting me to church. I think that really pulled me through because so many times I think when someone encounters a lost, we offer, you know, hey, if anything ever you ever need, give me a call. Well, the last thing that person wants to do when they're going through grief is to now call someone and potentially set themselves up for more disappointment if you were to say no. That's a great point. And I think what they did is they didn't offer. They came to my house and said, we're going to mm -hmm. Bible study. I love that. We're going to dinner. And I think that really put things in perspective. So now when people are going through stuff, like, I don't know, hey, do you need food? I'm sending food. What is your address? 
You need, I'm sending you flowers. I need to, where, where are you at right now? Yeah. And I think instead of, you know, asking someone and putting the burden back on them, actually taking action. And if, the, and it, if they don't eat the food, for, but I know I made the attempt. And I think, I think that's powerful. And a lot of people miss that point when someone is grieving or going through something. You know, they're like, hey, if you need anything, give me a call. Yeah. It's like, no, you can actually help someone. Yeah, that's, that's faith with, with action. Yeah, exactly. Right? Faith with nah, action. No question. And, and so did you grow up in a Christian home? Tell us a little bit about the background with your family. What was the early life for Gary Brackett like? Yeah, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my mother um, actually became ordained reverend uh -huh. um, by the time I had went to college. So she was studying, but before then she was the choir director. So we were all in the choir. Um, we had Wednesday Revival. I mean, so we were, we were in the church uh, quite a bit. Um, my father, at one point in his life, really questioned his faith. Yeah. He was a military veteran. He suffered from alcoholism for a part of his life. And there was some dark times where we would go to church and it would just be, you know, the kids and my mom. My father uh, went and got helped. And when he came back, um, he was, it, 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 when you ask him today, and unfortunately, uh, like I mentioned earlier, he, he's not here with us, but he could tell you, I've been sober for nine years, 27 days, four hours, and oh, 13 minutes. Yes, yes. And that was a badge of honor for him, man. I respect him for that because I realize how strong um, you have to be to, you know, to, to, to get away from some of those strongholds that we yeah. have on us. Yeah. So um, so he's just a strong, but he was very, um, he had a lot of faith and I just saw what it did to him um, and just outlook on life. So it was, a, it was an amazing experience. Fantastic. So NFL career, nine years. Mm -hmm. I wanna talk about the end of that and the transition because we'll get into business and what you're doing with your life now. What was it like towards the tail end when you began to realize, hey, this is coming to an end Walk us through your thought process there and then what began to transition you into what you're doing now. So it's funny, even when my career was ending, I read a book entitled Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. And I, I knew that, you know, it wasn't a if, it was when, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be in the NFL anymore. So for me, I was just planting seeds and I was meeting with people inside, you know, town, um, going out to dinners, interacting, doing internships and really just learning about the business community and what that was gonna be about. I think, you know, so many times, unfortunately, players wait till it's too long to start making those connections. But for me, because I had those connections, because I had a foundation, because I was visible and present, um, my transition was a little bit easier. I'll tell you a funny story though. So when I did retire, I was uh, about 31 years old. My wife, um, she's a, um, a doctor. So she was in a residency at the time. So my son was three, and um, he sees mommy going to work, and he sees daddy's golfing every day, you know, coming home. So my son looks at me, and he says, Dad, like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, do you see this ring? Do you see this house? Like, what do you? What you? And um, I was offended. Like, what are, you, what are this kid talking about? But it was one of those sleepless nights, man, when you're just thinking, like, man, what, what am I going to do with my life? And at that moment, wow. I decided to go back to school and get my MBA from George Washington University. And the reason being was because I feel like we all have our own toolboxes in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we choose our tool of choice, right? And for, mo for me, for the mar majority of my life, the tool of choice was a hammer. And the challenge is when you only have a hammer is that every situation looks like a nail. So I had to go back and recalibrate some things and mm -hmm. learn that Every situation does have to be a nail. 
Some things could be a ruler. Some things could be, okay. you know, you know, a wrench. Some things could be a screwdriver. So it was just amazing opening up that skill set again and just really looking at things with a critical eye yeah. and not just, you know, being stuck in the way that I was thinking, kind of expanding um, my vision, if you will. Oh, that's fantastic. So your title, what you do is you are the CEO mm -hmm. of Stack Pickle. Correct. What is the Stack Pickle? Yeah, so the Stack Pickle is a sports bar yeah. here in Indianapolis, Indiana. We have 10 locations. We have, obviously, burgers, wings, some adult beverages as well. But we really just pride ourselves just, you know, providing great service, yeah. great food at a great price. Yeah. And of everything you could have done, you mentioned, hey, I went back, got my MBA, look at different opportunities in life. You probably had a lot of options, right? A lot yeah. of connections to your point earlier. Why did you choose the food service industry and the stack pickle. What, what what drove that? Yeah, and we talked about it earlier. Um, my mother, an ordained reverend, a lot of times in my life just struggling with different, you know, yeah. things, being a leader of the team, uh, whatever, and, you know, just deciding what I want to do when I, go, when I get older. And one thing that she used to preach to me was that the greatest among us will serve. And I think even in the Bible, right, um, Jesus went down and washed someone's feet. And I think that type of mentality, um, and it's surprising to people when they see me bringing out their food. Uh, funny story, one time, March Madness, we were short staff. So I go to the restaurant, I'm supposed to be there just to shake hands, kiss babies, and we're missing three people. So I go back into worker mode. So I'm clearing the tables, going back in the back, and <laughs> yeah. I can hear some guys at the table whispering, like, hey, I think that's Gary Burke. He used to play football. I think he works here. And it just like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really, like, what is your job? Um, it's really whatever it takes, right? Yeah, so yeah. the CEO is just, you know, you just have different, you know, things to go on inside of a business. It's really whatever it takes. So what are your dreams for the what you're doing? What's so the, my dreams like? is just yeah. really I want to grow responsible. I think, you know, a lot of times franchisees come out the gate and they grow and they take every possible person that comes that can write a check. And I think they get into trouble because they get some people that doesn't align with their culture. Yeah. So I'll make sure I want to be careful. I want to grow about six to eight stores a year for the next five, six years. And, that, and at that point, I really just assess where I'm at in, in my season in life mm -hmm. and where that, where that goes. One thing that is amazing is just the opportunities that I'm able to afford people. Uh, I see people that came to me and they were hostess, then they went to you know servers, then they were managers, now they're general managers, now they're helping on their franchise side, you know, yeah. no college education, but making a good enough wage to buy a house. So um, that's a huge responsibility, having that sort of people that work under me. So I definitely want to make sure that we stay focused on, on the right things. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about some of the lessons you've learned. Mm. Uh, you started or you began this business how long ago? Uh, so I invested in 2011 yes. and then I brought the business out right in 2013. Okay. So as you look back over the last six, seven, eight years in this business, right. share with us maybe one or two of the big lessons. You know, as we sat here today having this conversation, where I've really learned this or I've really, you know, taken away this. And then I want to connect our, your faith to those lessons. So mm. what are a couple of big lessons you've learned? I think one of the biggest lessons is just patience. Okay. And I think so many times we... Um, compare ourselves against different people and we don't know their, that person's story. But we want to be exactly where that person is right now. And I thought that I could take the, ele the elevator. Mm -hmm. And no matter where you're at in life, in order to have a successful, long, sustainable success, you got to take the stairs. 
And there's so much value in taking the stairs. There's so many muscles that are built, conditioning that curves on when you're taking the stairs. And yet I see it time and time again, and I felt prey to this that I thought that I could take the elevator. And it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn some hard lessons in, in the beginning, picking some bad sites, closing locations, hire some pretty senior people, having yeah. to let go of them. Yeah. I'm thinking that, you know, wow, I can hire them and I can sit back and I can go golf and let them run it. And it's like, no, you need to learn the business. So that patience um, really plays out for me today. And then now I'm, you know, again, putting my 10,000 hours. I go to about four or five conferences a year. I read books, podcasts, YouTube videos, and that's just trying to be a student of the game. You're a lifelong learner. And that's it, man. Yeah. And that's what you need to be. I'm also, it's funny, I'm working on this um, course. Um, I get asked to mentor people a lot. And it's impossible to mentor you know, as many people. That doesn't scale well, what, what I'm doing. But I'm putting together like an e-course, so like a webinar series just on developing a championship mindset. And with that, it just talks about you know, how does a champion approach different things? And one thing is he never underestimates his competition or his amount of work. And I think so many times we get success in one area of our life and think that's transferable to every other area. Well, success isn't guaranteed transferable. The skills you learn to have success are. Okay. So those skills still have to show up in the other area of your life in order for you to have that success. So in the midst of that, where, where does your faith play a role? and all of those lessons. How's that connect? Yeah, I think it's um, having faith. I think it's just having that. I think for me, faith has to be active. Okay. Saying that you have faith is not enough. Practicing faith, I think, is how, how in business you should act, right? So it's not enough to say, hey, I have faith that this, that this is gonna, gonna work out, but yet you're worried and you're anxious and you're doing all these different things. Um, I think you have to make a decision based on the information that was given to you. And you're not always gonna have 100% of yeah. the information available before you make that decision. That's right. But with 80% of the information, you have to make an educated decision. And then you have to believe in the decision that you made and have faith that it's gonna work. Yeah. And so many times I so see people, you know, managing, micromanaging, and, and doing so many different things. It's like, no, the, the goal is to make a hire, give them the job description, train them for their job, and let them do their job. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the part of having faith and having active faith that I've become a lot better at. I'm a firm believer that people build brands. And um, the reason it's not Gary Brackett, Stack Pickle, because it's not about me. It's about the brand. And I want to bring people in that are brand ambassadors to help us build something. And if they're stronger than me, like I'm, you know, if someone comes along and, and they're a great CEO, right, I might have to look for something else to do. That's all right. And that's all right. <laughs> and so let me, uh, let me ask you this. As you look at your business and how it's growing and the lessons learned, how do you see it as a ministry? Mm. How is it that God is glorified in what you're doing? I think for me, like I mentioned earlier, just the service aspect of yes. what we do. We get to partner in each one of our locations with the community and what we do. So we have dined to donate with schools, with churches, with different type of organizations. And to see us being able to, one, you know, feed people, but then the two, to see sometimes being able to write a check to these different mm -hmm. organizations mm -hmm. and seeing how we impact the communities that we're in. 
I think it's huge. So you really do understand that God's entrusted you, right? You're the steward of this. Yeah, you've got the platform and those sorts of things. And so I, I'm really curious if, as you look back, what do you wish someone had told you in that first year of being an entrepreneur? <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me, me about this. It, yeah, no, I really think, um, I really think, I wish they had told me that it's going to be harder than you think it is. <laughs> and I wish they would have managed my expectations because I thought I'm this big, bad football player who had this immense amount of success and I had capital, I had resources, I have a great name, I'm going to roll out. I remember games, a coach would always say, you can't roll out your helmet and then the guys are just going to, you know, take a knee and we're all of a sudden going to win. No, you have to actually go out there and play. So I didn't really realize how hard it was going to be. And it's kind of like I started off like, okay, like we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't figure it out, oh, wait a minute. So then I had to kind of like roll up your sleeves. like, And, it, and it's, it's funny because so many, so many times <laughs> as a leader, and initially I was this guy who you see leaders that are in the back and he's getting carried and he's, you know, the whip. And, and, and then I see now I'm the guy in the front Right, with chopping down the trees. <laughs> and, hey, follow me. Um, we're going this way. And I think um, the respect I think has grown amongst my peers and amongst the people that I lead because they're seeing them willing to kind of learn and understand and, and, and get down into the details and figure things out with them. Oh, I love that. And that's that's just part of those lessons, right? Yeah. And living it all out over time. So as you as you look back over the last six, seven, eight years. What's been the hardest part about connecting your faith and business? What are some of those, I don't necessarily take temptations, but situations that like, wow, okay, my faith is being tested here. My faithfulness to Christ is being tested here. Anything come to mind? I I think for us, just dealing with like HR issues and and stuff that goes wrong inside of your restaurant, because so many times... Typical restaurants, right? It's a one-strike policy. You get a strike, you're gone. Mm. But then that forgiveness and that empathy and that grace, and when something happens with one of your employees, do you just say, all right, you're fired? Or, and I'll give you an example. So one of our employees, uh, obviously we're a sports bar. We serve uh, alcoholic beverages. Um, so one of them, um, they served excise. They come in. They put on a sting, they do this little skit where a guy comes in, girl comes in, girl leaves, guy orders two drinks for him and a girl who just left. Well, we're supposed to ID everyone. So at the time, the bartender's busy. He didn't look up, he saw the girl come in. He didn't know someone else checked the ID because there's two bartenders at yeah. the time. Sorry, sir, has been drink. All right, excise, you're busted. Um, here's your fine, you know, come down. So the, the manager calls crying, and this is a valiant employee. He says, man, I hate to lose this guy. And he's like, everywhere else I've been, if someone got busted, they got fired. And I'm like, why, why, are, we, why are we firing them? He's like, because he, he broke the rules. I'm like, one, I bet you he'll never do that again. Yeah. And two, he's one of our greatest employees. If someone else down the street did the same thing and they got fired and they came to us and was a great employee, would we hire him? I said, absolutely. I said, so why not discipline him, show him that we do not approve, show everyone else that, yeah. but then give him a, a chance to redeem himself. So that's what he did. And then he became a great assistant manager for us for a couple of years. And great I think, example. Yeah. And, and you just so, so acting and, and, and not, you know, just emotional, but thinking like I'm imperfect myself. I, I also am flawed. 
And in some situations, it's not negotiable. But that situation, we were able to recover him by showing him a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy. I love it. I'm sure that at some point in your career, you busted a coverage. You yeah. missed an assignment. Man. And, you know, Coach Dungy didn't say, Gary, sorry, you're off the team now. Right? right? <laughs> it, it, it's just amazing how, how um, when we're sometimes in a leadership position, how we think, you know, we never stumbled when we were trying to learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, if if our child was learning how to walk and they don't walk with up, oh, she's never gonna walk. Yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna give up on her. Yeah. No, we kept on working that. I think for me, my goal is to be more Christ-like and less Christian. Oh, I love that. There's a difference, right? There's a big difference, and so many people think that they're a Christian because every Sunday they show up to church, but then when they leave church, they don't act like they know Christ. So for me, in my everyday walk. If someone can look at me and say, oh, yeah, I know he's a Christian. I, I just saw he just held the door for this old woman 30 extra seconds or he spent time. Or a big thing that I do, I used to travel with my children. Sometimes my wife wouldn't be there and sometimes my wife would travel and I wasn't there. And I know how how hard that is. You got a kid, you got a oh, stroller. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. So anytime I'm in the airport and I see it, I stop and say, hey, do you want me to get your bags and walk with you? Like, I know what you're going through. I've been there before. I just want to help out. <laughs> and just the faces on some of the moms are just like, yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> I don't know you. You're an angel. This, this may not end that well, but yes. Because they're thinking, right? Because when you yeah, stop, you yeah. land, you're thinking like, how the heck am I going to get this bag, that's get right. this stroller? Oh, She's crazy. crying. How is that going to oh, happen? Oh, that's right. <laughs> so it's just amazing for me just to show up in, in different areas like that. I love it. I love it. I'd like you to just kind of think for a moment about our audience that's listening to this conversation. Mm. You know, we, as we said in the opening comments, we really are here just to be an encouragement. You know, listening right now, there's going to be business owners, there's going to be leaders, executives, probably coaches and so forth. And they're maybe in a moment of discouragement. Mm. They're like, wow, what, what am I going to do? I'm just so despondent. I'm, nothing's going right. What word of encouragement would you have to someone who's listening right now to kind of make it through? For me, I think uh, Joshua 1.9 talked about, you know, I armed you to be courageous, to be fair for the Lord your God will always be there with you. And I think so many times people have this notion that, you know, successful people don't have fear. Yeah. You're so brave. And the reality is I was afraid. So many, every game I played, I had fear. And people think fear is something wrong with that. And I, I shouldn't be afraid. Well, if you're not fearful of nothing, you're probably in your comfort zone. And nothing ever grows from your comfort zone. So in order to experience life, in order to experience your greatness and what God has put inside of your life, you're gonna to have to step outside of your comfort zone, deal with that fear, and do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because fear is always going to be there. Yeah. yeah. So acknowledge that fear, right? It, it, it's showing you there, hey, I'm here. Hey, I see you, but I'm still going. There you go. And I think so many people that feel fear cripple them. And I don't think fear should cripple you. I think you should notice fear. You should respect it. But you say, I'm doing this anyway because I have faith. My faith is bigger than my fear. Yeah, that's, that is so powerful. And I just, I want to tie into something that I know that's a very big passion that I think has got to be rooted in this. You talked earlier, you lost your father, mm-hmm. you lost your mother, you, then you lost your, your brother to cancer. Right. And that could cause you to cower down and, and walk away from God and those things. 
but you've gone just the opposite way. I'd love to just for a moment talk about your foundation. Talk about mm. those moments of darkness that have led. I interviewed someone earlier this week and they made this statement that in your pain, you'll find your purpose. Mm -hmm. So you've been through a lot. Talk to us about your foundation, how it started, and what you do. This is amazing, what you've got going on. Yeah, so for me, um, when I was going through my dark places and um, when, my, when my parents passed away, my, my brother, at one point in my life, I wanted to quit. I was like, I feel guilty being in the NFL, living a great life, and my people were home struggling. And what I realized is that my mom, my dad, my brother, the people that I lost would probably roll in their graves if I had to quit. Like, they worked their tails off to get me to where I am. So then I came up with this thing. is like, you honor the dead by the way that you live your life. Okay. You honor the dead by the way that you live your life. So for me, after my brother passed in 2007, I started a foundation, the Impact Foundation. I wanted to make an impact. And the reason being, because when I gave my brother a bone marrow transplant, I used to, I walked down the halls and I saw so many kids affected by cancer. And before this day, I never knew what cancer was. And I saw so many kids in the hospital beds alone because their parents lived four hours away and needed to go home to tend to the rest of the family. So I said at that moment, if there's anything that I could do, that I would. So in 2007, I started a foundation, the Impact Foundation. We help critically and chronic illnesses with the children inside the hospitals. We have several lockers inside of the hospitals, IU North, Riley, uh, St. Vincent's. Um, we have several events throughout the city. And to date, we helped over 200,000 Indiana residents with that, our programs. That blows my mind. Yes. That's incredible. And sometimes it's funny, little old me, this little boy um, from 107 Higgins Drive is where I grew up in, across the street from the projects, a speech impediment, overweight, too short, too slow. And what I did is I never let anyone's perception become my reality. And I just kept on fighting, working, and I, I do the best with the gifts that the Lord gave me. And that's how you honor your family, right, to this day. Yeah. So how can folks learn more about the foundation and what you're doing? So GaryBrack.org is my foundation page. You can learn more about information there. And for me, uh, my Instagram, Twitter, all is the same. It's just Gary Brackett. Gary Brackett. B-R-A-C-K-E. Double T. T-T. GaryBrackett.org. Um, okay. Can I have like one extra minute with no, you? No, yeah, yeah, I would sure. be remiss. I'm just sitting here thinking, I know that this will be a fun question. And then I've got a serious one and we'll wrap up. Okay. As you think about over your nine-year NFL career, mm -hmm. okay, if there's one story that you look back on that just makes you laugh every time <laughs> that you recall, give us that memory of just what, what's and, and it's okay if you tell on one of the other players. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's that one story so, that would be great? So we used to do this thing, um, and it was Clint session, and uh, I, I think I got Peyton in on it. We used to do this thing where uh, we would walk out to the coin toss at home. Well, when you're at home, the opponent caused the coin toss. All right. So at one point, we had Clint Session there. So, you know, it, it was honorary captain. So me and Peyton would walk out. So Clint was walking with us. So Peyton's so, the offensive captain. You're I'm the defensive. defensive. Yep. And then Clint's special team. Okay. So I'm like, hey, Clint, man, what you going to call it? Hit or tells, baby. We gonna, we here busting. We out there busting hands today. And so Clint's getting excited. Like, yeah, man. Nah, nah, I'm going to tell. So I'm like, nah, we all go heads. We all go heads. So we get all the way to the coin toss. I'm hyping him up, hyping him up, and Peyton just giggling. And then um, he comes there, and Clint was like, hey, his, his. And then the ref's looking at him like, like, dude, you're home. Like, you don't get to call it. And I'm just tickled to death. And this is like, you know, a serious moment before the game. His first ever coin toss. And he's looking at me like, dude, like, you set me up. But um, 
<laughs> it's just one of those icebreaker type moments, man. Where uh, yeah, I, and we've got like a new Adam Vinatieri. We got. I mean, there's a bunch of players that we had like as we walked up to the coin toss. It was just like four steps before you walk. So they're like they they, they can't think themselves out of it, right? They gotta make a decision. They can't like logic doesn't kick in and say like no, we're home, right? So it's just something funny, you know, kind of cheesy that we used to do, man. But uh, something that guys just would just guys being guys, uh, right? Man, just getting but, uh, ready. That's I got awesome. a good chuckle out of that. <laughs> I did too. That's, that's great. All right. So we'll end up on the, the last question that I mm -hmm. ask in every one of my interviews. And I call it my 423 question. Mm -hmm. It's based out of Proverbs 423. Solomon writes these words. He says, above all else, guard your heart, mm. for from it flows all of life. So Gary, as you... Um, you know, if you kind of think, what would be the one piece of advice, you know, like if you, if you are towards the tail end of your life and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, those who are most precious to you, and you're going to pass along the single greatest piece of advice. I want you to complete this sentence for us. Mm -hmm. Above all else. Above all else, I have no regrets. And for me, so many people have so many ideals, have so much inspiration, want to do so much with their life and their worlds, but they have every excuse not to get it done. And five years later, 10 years later, it's yeah. on their grave, they have all this, man, I wish I'd have did this. I think it's somewhere it said that some of the greatest inventions ever known are in the graveyard <laughs> because people actually never follow through with them. So for me, I believe that failure is not the opposite of success. I believe it's a part of success. And so many people have regrets because they're afraid to fail. Because mm. from a young age, we were taught that failing is bad. But really, as you grow up and as you become successful, you realize that failure is a part of the process. Because if you're not outside of your comfort zone, yeah. If you're not addressing that fear, yeah. if you're not experiencing failure, guess what? You're probably never going to reach your peak greatness. That's great. Yeah. And for me, I'm just, you know, I, I encourage our managers. I, I say, hey, do events. If you fail, there's a lesson in that. What lesson did we learn? And then their thing is, well, last time we did it, it didn't work. So I, I assume we can't do it again. I never said you couldn't do it again. What lesson did you learn from that last event that you're gonna to apply to this event and try it again? I'm not gonna let you do it again the same way. Yep. Absolutely not. Right, right. But if you could tell me some lessons that you learned and how we're gonna adjust it, then absolutely I'll let you do it again. And they're perplexed, like, like we lost money. I'm like, we gained lessons. Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it just and it's just that valuable, right? And yep. um, it's just amazing. Another story, and I know we're running out of time. A uh, private equity guy bought a pharmaceutical company. And he saw this line on the pharmaceutical company, R&D. And they're spending 50% of their profit on R&D. So what did he do? He cuts all R&D, right? So all that money drops to the bottom line. Oh, this guy's a genius. Three years later, all of his competitors with R&D budgets makes drugs that are better than his drugs. So five years later, he goes out of business. Right? Mm -hmm. So research and development in pharmaceutical companies our value is what makes them billions of dollars. That's great. So That's failure great. is a part of your R&D. You have to budget for it. You have to, have, you have to allocate for it. That's fantastic. 
Gary Brackett, thank you for being on Bottom Line Faith today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, folks, another conversation with an amazing godly leader who is living out his faith every day in the marketplace. That's what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith. We'd like to encourage you, if you haven't been to the website, go to bottomlinefaith.org. We have over 100 other interviews just like this on that site. You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all of the normal platforms as well. Hopefully you're a regular subscriber. If not, click on that link and become a regular subscriber here at Bottom Line Faith. Until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 